the Sluts and Scholars. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Simone. And I'm Nicoletta. And this week we welcome James and Anna Good. Uh, James Good is a non-offending minor attracted person who made this discovery about himself when he was about 17 years old. He works in IT and is happily married to Anna. Uh, They're both in their late 20s. They met in college and have been together for eight years. Um, I know for some people this can be a sensitive topic, but it's one that I'm um, pretty passionate about and do a lot of my um, graduate research on. And so we're super grateful to have them here to help us dispel myths about um, pedophilia and minor attraction, um, at least in their own experience. So welcome, James and Anna. Thanks for having us on. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we're really happy to be here. So Nicoletta is the researcher, so she knows a lot about this stuff. But what is a minor attracted person? Yeah, so I guess I'll jump in and answer from my perspective. So um, a minor attracted person is kind of a broad term that can be used to describe anyone who's attracted to people who are uh, below the age of consent. Um, I think it's usually used to refer to people who are attracted to um, children who are younger, um, you know, not like talking about 17 year olds, but um, oftentimes talking about, you know, kids uh, at middle elementary school, things like that. Um, and I'm a non-offending um, minor attracted person, uh, which just means that I uh, live my life without engaging in any kind of uh, contact with uh, people who I might be attracted to who are underage. Wow. And what is it? What is your preference in terms of your attraction? Because obviously now you are also married to, to Anna, who is, um, you know, an adult woman. Um, how do you identify yourself um, sexually and your sexual orientation? So, yeah, I would call myself a non-exclusive minor attracted person, um, which just means that uh, while I do have um, strong or, or co-dominant attractions to minors. Um, I'm roughly equally attracted to uh, adults and people my own age. Cool. And Anna, how do you define your own sexual orientation or sexuality? Um, I personally uh, define myself as bisexual. So uh, I think a big wondering I have around this um, is how did you discover this? Because I'm, I'm guessing, you know, when you were younger, obviously you were maybe attracted to same age people, but you said when you were 17, you kind of made this discovery. So I guess the attraction um, continued. I would love to hear a little bit about your journey to figure that out. So I, I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s. So um, I grew up, you know, I had uh, three brothers. So I was um, kind of taught from my interactions with them to be very afraid of being gay. Um, so that was kind mm. of the thing I was afraid of. Um And, you know, I was kind of surprised uh, to learn this about myself. Um, In fact, I I think there were a lot of clues for a long time, but I I didn't pick up on them. You know, crushes that I had that didn't, I didn't realize that's what they were. Um, But ultimately, um, you know, I had standard American sex ed, so I I didn't have any kind of uh, information about um, sexuality or anything. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, sex is bad and you'll get an STD. Um, Mm -hmm. so, um, 
my a lot of my education came from just um, searching internet for pictures that I liked. And um, what I found an interest in was uh, nudism. And ultimately, I ended up finding like pictures of nudist families, um, which is sort of a special category where it's it's not actually sexual or anything. So it's not considered um, to be porno- pornographic or anything. Um, but I, I became sort of fixated on the pictures of younger girls. And I, I, I still stayed in denial for a while. Um, I'm not even sure when, if I admitted it to myself when I was 16 or 17, it was somewhere in there. But, Mm. um, I, I knew that I had, I kept going back to this one picture and it, you know, it was, it was really scary. You know, like I said, I had been afraid to admit that I, you're, you know, to think that I could be gay. Um, and this just came in completely under the radar. Um, and yeah. at this point, you know, I, I have a lot more open, uh, an open mind and, and better values. So I'm no longer uh, afraid or judgmental of uh, same sex attraction, but, um, yeah. So for me, it just, it's, it flew in under the radar and I, um, it was hard to admit it to myself. Yeah, I would imagine. So what was that process of like coping and, and, and realizing it and admitting it to yourself? And then what did you do about it? So I think I went through some stages. Um, the first stage I was, um, terrified. I I was really afraid, you know, the only, um, idea that we get from media about what pedophiles are. And that's, that's how I saw myself when I realized what this attraction was. Um, the only thing that pedophiles can be are offenders in the news and, Mm. you know, people who do terrible things. So what I kind of assumed was that at some point it was unavoidable. I was going to become an offender and I was really scared. Um, Mm. I actually started like coming up with ideas for how to end my life. If, um, I felt that, you know, the, the sort of like the monster emerging from within me. And like couldn't um, control it. I was it. also, uh, yeah. And I, I was very religious. So I spent a lot of time praying, trying uh, to ask God to take, you know, take this away from me. I, I don't want to have this attraction. Um, so that, you know, that was the first phase. Then I went into a phase where I realized that nobody would guess, you know, it, it's because I seemed like a nice guy, you know, as a, a fairly good kid. Um, mm-hmm. I knew no one at all would ever have the thought that I could be a pedophile, that I could be attracted to to kids because cause they would think only monsters would do that. And so it was sort right. of this like empowering invisibility where I knew, you know, I, I didn't have to, you know, I, at first I felt really tense, like people were just going to figure it out because you know, I like short girls and that was going to be enough of a clue that people would piece it together. And I, I realized that no, like nobody's ever going to guess, um, that I have that attraction as long as I just am perceived as, you know, kind of a nice guy. I think that's an important thing to point out for, for any of our listeners that, um, I mean, James and Anna, maybe you can add to this, but I think the reason that a lot of, um, people use the word uh, or the phrase minor attracted is because the cultural assumption that 
when people hear the word pedophile, they immediately think child molester. So they think that someone who yeah. has that attraction equals action, like equals that they're going to be um, engaging with that, you know, desire and they will offend at some point. And so I think minor attraction seems like a little bit more of an, an orientation um, and a preference and kind of separates it from that stigma. Yeah, so I mean, um, the the term pedophile just means a uh, person who has a sexual attraction to prepubescent children. So like in a clinical sense, it it doesn't mean anything more than that. But um, in practice, yeah, it has all that stigma. And I think people just, they use it interchangeably with uh, child abuser. And, okay, so you realized you had this attraction and went through this, you know, abject terror and shame, which is, you know, probably how people just respond to even the idea that someone could be honest about having this attraction. Um, and I'm just curious, like, so you're non-offending and like, like, is that, is that hard? Like, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm thinking about like, okay, there are people who are gay who like never have gay sex or like I knew that I was straight before I even had straight sex or something like that or not. You People know that they're straight without having had straight sex or whatever. Um, and so I guess I'm just like curious, like how, like how did you know that you were never going to offend and like, how did that make you feel? So I think um, w one thing that I felt the whole time was, a, I mean, a, just a general love for people, but especially as I started to, you know, get into my late teens and early twenties, um, just a, a genuine love of children. Um, it's, it's like, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that human beings could exploit the, the innocence of, and, you know, trustingness of, of children. Um, like you could go around literally stealing candy from babies um, like you could mm -hmm. do that stuff, but nobody wants to. So I have these, these attractions. Um, but what I have never wanted to do was to hurt a child. Like it, it's never been something inside me that's been there. I've, you know, I've, I've wanted to, um, bump into people in traffic when they cut me off, but mm -hmm. Never have I felt an urge to cause that kind of harm to a child. So for mm. me, the only way that I could possibly become an offender is if I deluded myself into thinking that I could act on these attractions without it causing any harm. And that's something that mm. I, I just don't believe. I'm curious. Um, I know we have lots of questions for um, for Anna later, but I I'm always curious, like what it's like for you to um, to hear James describing this, like as you know, as his wife, um, as a person. Like, how does mm -hmm. it feel for you hearing um, you know his experience? I mean, at this point, it's it, normal, basically. I've known as long as we've been together, I actually knew before we started dating. So as long as I've been in a relationship with James, this has been part of his identity. Um, and mm. certainly at first, even probably the first couple of years, um, of course I thought, well, it would just be easier if, if he wasn't like this. Um, and now I, I know technically it would still be easier if he wasn't like this, 
but this is who he is and I wouldn't want to change this about him. Um, and it's become just such a normal part of our everyday conversation, not that we, it's something we talk about every day, but it's nothing surprises me um, or takes, I'm not taken aback anymore hearing someone talk like this because he's such an important part of my life and I know who he is. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So you said you knew before you were even dating. I am mm -hmm. curious, James, like how often and to whom and how do you disclose this information? So I have come out to over 12 people, I think. Um, at least 10, I'd say. Um, I'm the kind of person that I, if, if it was possible, I would just be out. I would be out to everybody. I don't like hiding parts of myself away. Um, and certainly anytime I've had close friendships, it's been something that I've, I've wanted to share about myself. Um, I've always enjoyed when people are vulnerable with me. I enjoy listening to people's stories and the things that they find difficult and, and offering my ear and listening to what they're going through. And I've always valued that uh, in friendships. So it's something that I've, I've looked for. And anytime I found somebody that I felt comfortable uh, talking about that, I've shared that experience of mine. Um, it's usually gone pretty well. I, I think a lot of people, when they hear it from somebody they know, um, somebody that they can trust already and, and kind of have an idea of what kind of person I am, they tend to take it well and to really have an understanding view of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually, I knew James for a year before he told me. Um, we were friends for a year uh, before, yeah, before he told me and before we started dating. So I, I already knew who he was as a person. And so how did you feel when, when he first told you? Um, you don't, it's not something you expect to hear from someone when it's you're just really like sit, not. sitting at the lunch table. <laughs> um, so I honestly, I, it's hard for me to explain it. I actually, I had a class to get to, so we, I couldn't just sit there and like absorb this and ask questions. Um, I actually ended up we probably were only able to talk for a few more minutes and then I had to get to class and I couldn't pay attention in class. Um, I knew at this point that I, that I liked him and I was planning on probably asking him to go out soon anyway. Um, so like all of this was going through my head. I think I, I ended up leaving class anyway. Um, and just going home and journaling about it. Cause I was journaling a lot at that time as well. I mean, we've talked wow. about the the time when maybe it was a struggle for both of you to um, accept this. And so I wonder what was most mm -hmm. helpful in um, approaching things in a more sex positive way and becoming okay with this, both for you, James, as like your own identity and for you, Anna, as like a, you know, going into this with a partner. <laughs> um, that's a tough question. Um, so, well, so there was a, an intermediate period where you know, our, I think our relationship was pretty much normal. Um, you know, we, we were just two, um, early 20 year olds, um, in a relationship with each other. I, I don't vanilla. think any, yeah, it was very vanilla. Um, but there was a certain point where, um, we started kind of experimenting with role-playing 
And uh, I think thing, things got really interesting. Um, we were both able to explore fantasies that we liked. Um, I, it's, I still have a fuzzy, I have a fuzzy memory of how that started and everything. I think Anna remembers it better than I do, but yeah, because I was the one who brought it up. Well, tell yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and and later, I think I want to point out now, uh, he, this was something he said he never would have brought up or asked me to do because he would have never have wanted me to feel pressure to do this kind of role playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ha- so happened like one night, it was probably a couple of years after we'd been together. Um, basically, I was masturbating and he was there helping me. And I noticed that my fantasies started going towards um, basically priest schoolgirl stuff. And I did go to Catholic school. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like all I the people who are into that have gone to Catholic school. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, but I was freaked out at first. Uh, because this was also before, like, I now I'm more into more into kink and BDSM. Um, so this was pretty early in that journey for me. Um, but I knew that if I told him about this fantasy, if I le- if I let myself have this fantasy just to see what happens, that I it's something I could tell him, obviously. And you know, he's a safe person to tell something like that too. I don't think mm-hmm. um, people always would feel comfortable telling their partner about. A fantasy like that, um, not knowing how they would react. But um, so I let my, I just let my mind wander there. And for several minutes, I thought about how much I wanted him to call me a naughty little girl. Um, <laughs> I love and, that. <laughs> and so I, I didn't This is know, not weird. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if I should just ask him then, like in the middle of everything, or if I should uh, wait until afterwards and just tell him how I was feeling. But I decided that I, I needed to hear it if he was okay saying it. So I asked him and he said it and and it was great. And so then that's <laughs> how all of that started. And it started a, a lot of different conversations and negotiations and scenes and scenarios since then. I, I wonder if, I mean, maybe wow. I'm just stereotyping, but I feel like an immediate gut reaction that um, someone might have to this is like, I think people are afraid, obviously, to let folks engage in certain aspects of their fantasies um, because then they're worried mm-hmm. that that means they want to do it in real life. And so I think the fear that maybe a lot of people have around um, like pedophilia or minor attraction is like, oh, well, if you do this role play, that will make, um, you know, that will make James want to do this more in real life um, and to offend. Mm -hmm. So like, I wonder if you can help us dispel that myth for people that like that made you maybe more likely to offend when in reality it didn't and maybe helped you. Yeah, so I... uh like I said before, I, I've never had the desire to, to hurt a child. So I, I I think that that just, it kind of falls flat right from the beginning. But mm-hmm. even I, what my understanding is that the research is just, there hasn't really been research. There's not much research on minor attracted people at all. Yeah, it's, it's mostly on sex offenders and, who have already offended and are incarcerated. Right. right. Um but, you know, it, it reminds me of video games. There's been the everlasting debate about whether violence in video games leads to violence in real life. 
my understanding on that is that it's completely bunk, that violence in video games does not cause mass shootings or anything like that. Um, I, I just think that for some people, if, if what they're fixated on is wanting to offend, if, if what they want is to take that action, I, I don't know that depriving them is going to help that. M- maybe it could. I, I really don't know because I, I can't, I don't understand those people. But so you think it's very like different me, from who you are, like those people. They're not just people who identify the same way and happen to act on it. There's something fundamentally different about the way they feel about it because, because they would act on it. Yeah, I, I think that there's because what I do know is that there there's research that shows that a lot of people who offend are not actually sexually attracted to children. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different reasons why people uh, commit abuse. Um, I, there is overlap. There, there are people who offend uh, and it's related to their attraction of children. But but it's th- that offending part that I I can't relate to because I just couldn't imagine you know, being okay with even just risking harm. Um, even Mm -hmm. if I, you know, if, if, if somebody deludes themselves into thinking that, uh, acting out on minor attraction with a real child, you know, isn't necessarily going to hurt them. There's still, you have to admit that there's a risk there, even if you have kind of pushed yourself to believe differently. And I can't imagine even being willing to take that risk. The The idea of causing that harm is so grave to mm. me that I just can't, I can't relate. So I, I don't think that acting out uh, fantasies and things like that would make me any closer at all to committing those crimes. Do you think that those who do commit those crimes could have gotten to the place where you are now or are the people who do offend kind of destined to? I wouldn't say they're destined to. Um, I mean, this, this is all conjecture, but I think that, um, I think there's, there's a lot of ways. I do, I do believe that there are ways to help people be better. Um, but the, I think the difference is, you know, if you are, if you are a person who, not only you know notices that you have a sexual attraction to minors, but you actually, you know, want to to physically act on those. Um, like if if thinking about actually acting on them makes you feel excited and or, or whatever the case is, I I think that I don't know that I don't know if you can change that. I I think that you probably can mm. you know go to therapy and work on you know finding a better relationship with that meditating recognizing that those thoughts are not you, um, but I, I think that if if those thoughts are there that that's something that I'm I'm grateful that I don't deal with myself. Yeah, I mean, mm. I think you said it's like you do not want to harm other people. And so there are folks out there who want to harm other people in certain ways and whether we could identify them as having certain... Or don't care if they do. Or don't care. So does that mean they have other mental disorders happening? Potentially. Um, I also think another Mm. important thing to point out is that our society is really afraid of, of pedophiles, of minor attraction. And so because of that, I think all those folks have to stay in the shadows, you know, in the dark. And even though we don't have a lot of research on non-offending pedophiles, we do have a lot of research on 
what social isolation and shame does to a person. And so I kind of have to wonder, like, for the people who did offend, like, which came first? For those that are minor attracted, like, Mm. which came first? Were they destined to do that because there's, you know, they don't care how they impact other people and maybe don't have empathy? Or were they really lonely and really ashamed and didn't have other relationships and connections and didn't feel like they could talk to anyone and couldn't find a therapist who was willing to work with them? Yeah, and that's that's the place where I feel very grateful because I have had friends, you know, when I was in high school, I started coming out to people. It was, you know, few and far between, but um, on AOL wow. Instant Messenger, I was, you know, sharing <laughs> things about myself. As, um, as gosh, we all did so on AIM, ago. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like so invented I, you know, stuff about myself. <laughs> yeah, I was like, tw- what did funny. I say? I was like 22 in New York with double D boobs. And I was I'm like, like, I'm 12. 16 yeah. with a full C <laughs> <Yeah>. cup. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I always just wanted to connect with people and, and just kind of open up. I wanted people to open up with me. Um, and I feel grateful that I had a good sense of who it was safe to talk to for the most part. So, you know, I, I came out to different people and I don't, nobody's been as supportive of me as Anna has. Um, I've, mm. I've had a couple other friends who've been you know, really good about being supportive and understanding. Um, and so, yeah, if, if there is that, that component where if you feel, you know, isolated and everything, if that kind of eats away at your, your sense of, of what's right and wrong. Um, I could, I could see where that, you know, that could be something that I just didn't have to deal with because I was fortunate in my life. What, have you had any negative coming out experiences? So I haven't had, you know, the thing that you're always scared of is that you're going to come out to somebody. going to turn you in. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to make a big, I mean, now if, if it happened, they'd make a big Facebook post about it and call you out and they'd, yeah, I, I don't know what people might think to do or try to do. But um, for I've what? For having that. a fantasy? Well, you know, I think it's, it's like what I thought about myself. If I, um, I, I knew beware, that I had attractions. Mm. Yeah. Like if you have the attraction, um, I think a lot of people, and I, I thought this too, when I first realized it about myself, is that that attraction will inevitably lead to action. Um, and so if people are afraid of that, if that's been the programming they got, and you know I'm having a conversation with them, and I'm sharing this about myself, if that programming kind of wins out against, you know, because they're comparing that to what they know about me. You know, they, they think they know I'm a, a, a nice guy that I, you know, it's something I always listen to people when they um, need someone to talk to. Those things, it's, it's they're weighing those things against the fact that I just revealed about myself. And mm. um, I think for some people, it's, you know, that the pre-programming is going to win out. They're, they're taught to believe so strongly that pedophile is bad. Um, that they would freak out. And I, I don't know, maybe they'd be afraid to to go all the way because they'd be like afraid of what would happen. But um, I think there are some people who would try to do that. You've never had that experience. But in, yeah, in my experience, it's been uh, really good. I've had mostly supportive people. The worst I had was I, I um, it was one of two uh, guys I came out to. Um, I came out to a guy 
when I was, um, I think I was in, just started college and, uh, it was a little bit loud and it was at like a, a dance and I, we were kind of off to the side a little bit. And I, um, you know, I, I told him, uh, this thing, you know, we had been close friends for a while and he, I think he just kind of acted like he didn't hear and, uh, he never acknowledged it since then. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know if he even, maybe he blocked it out and doesn't even remember. I, I don't know. I, I'm confident that he was able to hear what I was saying, but, um, that was really the worst experience. Um, the worst experience now, I, I did have another experience where I came out to somebody who I, I didn't know at the time had an experience with abuse herself. Mm. And what happened was, um, you know, a really, you know, basically the walls went up and, uh, a year went by and I, I hadn't talked to her at all. Um, and, you know, it was something that really troubled me. I went into therapy to, to help work through that. Um, cause I, I felt really thoroughly rejected, but we eventually were able to reconnect and, and talk things through. And she was able to talk about why it was such a difficult thing for her to hear that. Um, yeah. because she had had, you know, an experience with being abused in the past. I wonder how we can keep like listeners minds open to, to hearing your experience as another like real human person. Um, because there have been a lot of us out there who have experienced um, abuse in some way, shape, or form. Um, unfortunately, like, how do, how do we try to help them be open to hearing this without thinking that, like, you're bad? Yeah, I don't necessarily need to get into any details, but I did have an experience myself um, when I was very young. Um, so I'm one example of someone like that who. Wow. who can hear these things. Mm, um, thanks for sharing. But, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, certainly, that's one of the hardest things to feel out. I think when, when James wants to come out with someone, to come out to someone is um, if they haven't shared anything like that with, with him, knowing whether or not that had hap- has happened to them and whether or not his coming out could be potentially a trigger, basically. You were just saying that Anna has been your biggest support. And so, like, I'm wondering, like, what's been the most helpful? And, like, Anna, how do you offer support? Oh, my God, that was my question. Really? (laughs) Yes, I was going to ask not only what kinds of support has been really good, but also how you've, like, constructed your life around this. And, like, do you explicitly, like, avoid being, uh, like, around children or not? It was kind of tied into that. Okay. A bunch of questions there. Um, I guess so. Maybe it wasn't the same question. (laughs) So I'll start with the the support. So, um, I mean, I I think there's a lot of parallels with other marginalized groups. I I think that knowing, knowing that Anna and, and the few other really supportive people in my life, if they hear somebody saying something, you know, really toxic about anybody who would, you know, even have the, a fantasy about children, you know, then people say really violent and horrible things about, um, people like me. So, you know, I know that these few people and Anna, especially they, they're more likely to, to speak up, to say something, um, to explain that, you know, that's not really fair. That's not how things work. Um, and to, to point out that there are people who don't act on these things. Um, 
and and I think it's it, again because nobody would guess that you know somebody they know could actually be um, a minor attracted person um, if they know if they know Anna and they know our relationship then they they're just going to assume that she's talking about maybe a, a friend she knew or you know maybe she's just if you I know, was talking about you sort of to them but not obviously not saying that you are my husband. Right. So they don't, they, they don't make that assumption. So I think there's some safety there for, for her to talk about it. Mm. Um, be an ally, but yeah, things like that are really important. Um, also just being there when I, when I need to talk, I've gone through a lot of emotional processing. Um, you know, it was something that I hated about myself at one point and, you know, it's just, I've, I've come to terms with the fact that there's a large percentage of the population that is never, ever going to accept me, that they will always be hostile towards me. And knowing who I have that will love and care for me unconditionally, like that's really helpful. That's meant so much to me, knowing that there are, there are people that I can reach out. You know, I have friends that I can, I could call out of the blue and you know, lay, you know, whatever struggles I'm going through down and, and they would be supportive and helpful. Um, that's been uh, really helpful to me. And then- Struggles um, as they relate to your attraction or just like general friend struggles in general? Well, struggles. So, you know, sometimes I come across a Facebook post that's like if you want every pedophile to be hanged and shot, you know, things like that that get really violent and gross. You know, when I see those things, it I- I know what they think they're saying is, you know, people who would hurt children, but the mm -hmm. words they're using literally mean people who are attracted to children. And that is me. And anytime I, I see things like that, that can be, that can be hard. I've gotten to a place where I can handle it a lot better now. Um, but especially, you know, if somebody in my life starts talking that way, you know, that can happen, you know, family will start going on a rant about something. Um, those are the things that, that wear me down, that make me feel, you know, badly about myself. And mm -hmm. knowing that I have these supportive people has been hugely helpful. I think there's um, pushback for, for advocates too. Like, I mean, I imagine if like yeah. Anna speaks mm -hmm. out on your behalf that people will, you know, have a reaction. Like I know when I've, you know, spoke about this publicly or like posted a video about it, like people say I should kill myself or like I'm terrible or I, mm -hmm. you know, they all, they, you all should die, stuff like that. Like it's a very big fear mm -hmm. and big, real scary stigma. Um, and I, and I get why it is, but I think us not talking about it just isn't helping anybody. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just want to say thank you. And I'm sorry. Cause I know what that's like reading those things. Um, it, and it's got to be that much harder when it's personally directed at you. So thank you so much for what you do. Um, I, and I, Simone had another question that I forget now. It was about like, do you feel like you have to consciously avoid children? Yeah. Oh, um, no, I, I don't think so. When I am around uh, a young girl, um, particularly if I find her cute or attractive, it's like I feel really like alive and awake and alert. Like I, I'm noticing everything. What I don't feel are, you know, desires to do something that would, would hurt them. So 
you know, it can, it, I imagine that if I was around children all the time, it could be something that gets, you know, I, I would, it would be exhausting, I guess. Um, but I, I just, I don't think that it's something that I have to be afraid of because I, I know who I am and I, I know that I, I wouldn't do anything to hurt them. Um, and I, I honestly, I genuinely like being around kids. Um, I, I like their perspective on the world and all of that stuff. Um, you know, it, it, it feels good being around kids. So, but in, in my daily life, I'm, it's pretty rare that I'm around any, uh, anybody who's below the age of 18. So. Mm. Do you have any, do you have any friends who, um, who have young female children? Um, and would you be open with them about your desires? Not maybe towards their child. And have you thought about having your own children? Yeah. Oh, um, Okay, so I don't have any, this is a really, really interesting and difficult question. I don't have any friends who have, um, I don't think I have any friends who have young children, um, but I think that, w- that would be probably the scariest thing. Because um, even in my family, I, d- I don't have any, there's no young, um, my, my distant family has uh, young female children. Um, but in my immediate family, I don't, um, interact with any young female children. Um, you look like you want to say something, Anna. Oh, uh, well, I was just thinking about, um, the last person you came out to, um, who we'd been friends with for a while and were pretty confident based on other conversations that we'd had, um, that she would, you know, be accepting, um, uh, if, James came out. Um, but one of the things she said when this, when we knew that it was going to be okay and, and that she w- was a safe person is she said, if she had kids, she wouldn't worry about them. Um, she would trust him basically. And so that meant a lot to both of us, I think. Yeah. That was the, one of the most validating things anybody had ever said to me. Um, because it's true. I, I would, I would not do anything to hurt, to hurt a kid. Like that's just awful. Um, and yeah, I, I know that I, I would not act on anything that would cause harm. Um, but it is still, you know, there's their energy to it that, you know, I, I, I don't think I'd want to pursue a, a, a job, a career that has me around kids all the time, just because, mm-hmm. um, it's hard for me to just be, you know, chill and mellow. It's like, Um, I I don't know. I think a lot of people experience that if you're around someone that you are really attracted to, um, you know, if that feeling of like wanting them to like you and wanting to leave a good impression, like I feel that, but it's, it's like taking everything I feel as an adult, plus everything you feel in middle school about the crushes you have. Like it's, it's like combining all of that at once. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So much. (laughs) Oh my God, that would be overwhelming. <laughs> but do you think about having your own children? Like, do you think it's possible? So right now we we have no plans on having children. Um, it's not that I'm afraid um, because of my attraction to have children. Um, it's, it's more just life circumstances. Uh, the one thing that I would be afraid of is that, you know, if I ever was outed, um, even if I had never done anything to hurt my kids, people mm. would make assumptions and, you know, they they could end up being hurt by 
people trying to come after me. Um, Not even just that. I think people would like potentially try to take them away from you. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And so I I would be afraid of that. I knew a guy um, who was, uh, you know, into cross-dressing and in the, he lived in the Midwest and in the divorce proceedings with his ex, um, the wife like told, you know, told them about that. And basically that limited his rights to his daughter because of that proclivity. Which is just like, I don't know how that has any bearing on That's being so a parent um, or how they, you know, I don't know, contextualized it like that. But it was just, I mean, I think there are real fears here. Like, I wonder what else scares you about coming out to everyone. Like, I mean, you mentioned, you know, personal ridicule, um, people being hurtful or potentially harmful towards you. Like, what are some other fears um, that you think pe- keep people in the dark about this desire? Well, so we don't even protect trans people who, you know, people can be fired for being trans and a lot of states you can be fired for being gay. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it goes without saying there's no protections for if you are a minor attracted person. Yeah. Um, So any Mm -hmm. job for any reason, you know, if if they don't like that about me, they could just fire me. And I I think that if if I came out in, in such a way that it was just an easy Google, I don't think that I could find work. I, I think, you know, if people, yeah. as soon as they found that out, they would say pass. So I would, I would be worried about, you know, losing my job, um, and basically falling into poverty because I don't know who would want to hire me other than, you know, some of the most difficult and lowest paying work out there. So I think that's one thing that would be really scary. Um, there's also just the fact that I think there, I know that there are people out there who, believe that what is good to do is to come after people like me. Um, so I, I would be afraid for my safety. Um, I don't know how far they would really go. That's, you know, that's one of those things where you know, I think people are a lot more cautious than they need to be. I think, you know, women who put themselves out there on the internet, it's really scary when you get the harassment and the threats and everything. It So even though it's true that, you know, the threats are usually empty. Um, I think that for women, it's got to be really scary and just not knowing what percentage that likelihood is. And I mm-hmm. think for me, mm-hmm. it would be, um, you know, I, I think a lot more people would be willing to act on those threats. Yeah. Do you think that minor attraction should be under kind of this umbrella of queer sexual minority rights? That, that is also a really difficult question. So, um, so, okay. So I have had, um, people who do identify as queer, um, basically tell me that, you know, that is something that, that fits under at least their understanding of queer. Um, I'm hesitant to push for that at all. I, I know that the LGBTQ community has faced a lot of accusations that, they're just, uh, you know, they're making space for pedophiles to normalize pedophilia and bestiality. And I would be afraid that if I, you know, as a minor attracted person kind of advocated for that, I'd be afraid of mm. potentially damaging the LGBTQ movement. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I, you know, just from an intellectual perspective, I think there's a lot of strong similarities. Obviously, I can't act on um, these attractions, cert- at least not with, you know, real children. You know, there's other ways to do fantasy about it and things like that. Um, but other than the fact that I can't act on it, there's there's a lot of similarities about being in the closet um, you know, having to figure this mm. stuff out about yourself, going through feelings of self-hate and, and doubt. Um, having to find a community. You know, yeah. Having to find a community. I still, I, I have no idea how to find a community. I know there's online communities. Is there a community? Oh. But everybody's so secretive and private. Nobody wants to share anything about themselves. They don't, you know, so you don't know where they went to school. You don't know where, what city they live in. It, it's so hard to find people who are willing to share anything. I felt those communities felt so cold to me that I just, I stopped going online to try to find community. I I just have, you know, the friends who I can be myself around and that's, you know, that just kind of has to be enough for now. Yeah. Well, cause I would imagine these internet communities would be really tricky um, because I don't know, like if I, I'm feeling that if I were, somebody like a minor attracted individual, I would be really scared at coming across like material that would and like searching for online community, finding communities that are of offend of the offending nature. And like that would make me anxious. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I definitely so um there was one community I found where there was definitely a divide because you know, they, they were open, so they, they didn't allow any sharing of content. So there was nothing to worry about there. But there were definitely people there who felt that, you know, you should be able to act on these adult child uh, attractions. And mm. then there were the people who, you know, disagreed and, and did not believe that. Um, but that was that was hanging over that community. And, that, you know, it's that there's people out there who believe things that I disagree so strongly with it's hard for me mm. to kind of put that aside. I, and ideally I shouldn't have to, I should be able to find the communities where, you know, I can, I can find people who agree with, you know, my views on at least to some degree, agree on my views of ethics, but you know, everybody's so hungry for community that we can't build those walls at all. So I think there's just a lot of, you know, mingling and it's hard to find communities where people see things the same as you. Yeah, and just to to speak to um, like folks in my industry and in, in the therapy industry, um, I had never thought before, James, about like that it could diminish the strength of the LGBT cause, which I think is interesting. Um, I guess I see it more of like a human rights issue, just like what are the rights around being a human person? You know that you should be able to get access to um, different types of care, and one of those things includes therapy. Um, but I know so many, probably most therapists who would have no training around um, treating someone who expressed a minor attraction fantasy or orientation, um, and they wouldn't see clients like that. Um, and so a lot of the minor attracted people I've talked to, luckily you've expressed having some good therapy. A lot of them have said it's been hard to even find support. So they're looking for therapy support and most therapists will like turn them away and not want to work with them because they're worried about um, their ethical obligations of like having to turn in child molesters. Um, but yeah. 
Mm. You know, it's important to, I think, to teach folks in the helping profession that a fantasy does not equal a behavior. Um, But no one really, you know, educates folks on that. And so nobody feels comfortable to, to deal with that. Yeah, and unfortunately, my amazing therapist moved out of state. So I'm I'm currently without a therapist, and I, I want to get back into therapy next year if I can find somebody. But you know, even if you find someone who does accept you into their clinic or whatever, uh, takes you on as a client, that doesn't mean that they understand. Because that was my first experience. It's just somebody who didn't say anything toxic, but he did not understand me. So... I just, it, it started to, the, the therapy itself started to feel toxic. So um, I just, I need to find someone who knows how to validate my experiences and, and who demonstrates understanding me. And that's, it's really tough to find that because you can't really advertise if you're a therapist, especially if you work with children yourself or if you want the option of working with children or families. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and there's, I mean, it just to, there isn't any research really on the topic of working with or treating non-offending minor attracted people. Um, And so there isn't much to go on. Um, So I think for me, that's a place to start is just increasing um, research around it. But I think there's also barriers there because people, like you said, are afraid to be honest about their experience out of fear um, and out of being found out. And so it's a it's a tough population to to research and to find community for. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that hopefully in having this kind of conversation, we're we're raising awareness about that there is this divide between offenders and non-offenders. And there is a very real um, attraction. And with that comes, you know, obviously insane stigma and profound shame. Um, and yeah, Nicoletta, like you said, like thinking of it as a human rights issue and like, how do we care for people and how do we enable and support people to live their most happy, fulfilled lives? It involves having these really difficult conversations. And so I'm for one, extremely grateful that you both took the time to speak to us. I would love to, um, thank you for having us. Maybe end on some like other misconceptions that maybe you, I know you're just an individual and can't speak for the whole population, Um, but you know, just some misconceptions that people have, like, I think a big one is if you have this attraction, you were probably sexually abused as a child. Yeah, that, that one, at least for my case, I can rule that one out completely. I was, I never suffered any kind of sexual abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. that, that one, you know, and it is something that I thought about, you know, I started wondering, did I have some kind of repressed memory? Um, is there's something like that, but no, there never in, in any part of my life did I have any kind of sexual abuse. Um, I think another big misconception is that people can tell when they see someone if they're minor attracted. Um, I, I don't, I don't think there's any way people think that there's a certain way that, you know, pedophiles look. Um, and I, I would caution you not to make that assumption. Um, because even you know sexual abusers, there's no one look. That's that's what makes um, abuse so permit pernicious is that it, you can't tell. Um, sometimes the nicest seeming people end up being abusers. But um, trying to think of other misconceptions. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of stereotypes, but I don't usually think in terms of stereotypes because mm. I I'm me, so I don't <laughs> think of myself that way. Any? Um, Can you think of any? 
Um, I mean, I think the perceptions. I can't. The main ones that you said, I, I agree with those. That those are definitely big stereotypes. But I think there's still a lot that we don't know. Like I said, because of a lack of like research and understanding, um, which is why I'm so grateful that at least you're open to to have this conversation um, and be open about it and. Um, if you are out there listening and you are struggling with, um, you know, with these fantasies, I don't want to deter you from from seeking help. You know, there are some some online communities. Um, there's, you know, Verped, Virtuous Pedophiles. There's Before You Act. Um, you know, there's, I don't know if you have any other ones that you've liked better, um, James or Anna. I haven't. Yeah, I know. Them. I know those two are, are are good organizations. I've never really gotten super connected myself. Um, and I, I know there's other communities out there, but I don't know if I can, you know, vouch for them because like I said, you know, the the communities can sometimes be a little bit of a mixed bag. I actually did think mm-hmm. of one misconception um, that we've already talked about, but just to name it is that um, someone who's minor attracted can't have healthy adult relationships. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Mm. We, we have an amazing relationship. People comment on how good our relationship is with each other, which is, is always funny to hear because we're just like, we're just us. But yeah, no, you can definitely have healthy adult relationships, even if you're minor attracted. Awesome. Thank if you're you. an exclusive... Definitely a testament to that. Thank yeah. If you're an exclusive minor attracted person, then you, you might not be able to um, have, oh, yeah. you know, specific types of adult relationships, but you can still have like adult friendships and everything else. It doesn't diminish your capacity for relationships at all. It's just how you're attracted. I think that brings me to probably the most important one is that um, people who are minor attracted are all different. They're all different human beings. And so, like you said, they don't all look the same way. They might not all behave the same way. They might not have the same level of attraction to minors. Like you said, there are some people who are exclusively attracted to minors. And then there are some people who also like um, adults. And so I think it's definitely like a, a heterogeneous population. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that I could say, you know, reach out to like James and Anna so people could get support. But I know that like part of this is, you know, protecting you for all the reasons that we stated. So um, if our listeners do have questions, do you have any other resources that they could go to or any ideas for them? Well, I think they can also email us. Right? Yeah. I mean, if if you're okay with that, um, if people do have questions, we're happy to have things forwarded on to us. Yes, for sure. Email us. I'm sure people will have a lot of feelings and reactions to this and that's okay. Like take care of yourself and we're grateful that you are open to listen to it. Yeah. Listeners, if you're feeling, you know, if either this is something that speaks to you in a way, like you can feel free to reach out. And if you found this incredibly triggering, we also understand and we are very willing to um, receive feedback and have conversations about this. We think it's important, especially um, Nicoletta and therefore by extension me. (laughs) Um, uh, just cares about. And so, so yeah, we want to, we want to have these conversations. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, again, if you want to follow what we're doing here at Sluts and Scholars, you can find us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And like Simone just said, you can email us at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. <laughs>